Hi, all. It's Sarah. And we're coming up on November, which, aside from just being a shocking thing, considering how both excruciatingly long and impossibly short this year has been, is also pretty cool because it's National Novel Writing Month. Many, many, many authors who are Fated Mates faves started their careers writing their first romance novel or drafting their first romance novel in the month of November, alongside tens of thousands of other people from around the world at NaNoWriMo.org. This year, I'll be doing my best to help. For those of you who are out there thinking about starting your first romance novel, or maybe starting your fifth or tenth romance novel, I'm hosting a two-hour online course on October 30th, just in time for NaNoWriMo, to talk about starting your romance novel as soon as possible. During the class, we'll cover everything from creating high-concept ideas to building great characters and mining great conflict, which is, as you know, a favorite of ours here at Faded Mates, and, of course, avoiding the dreaded pitfalls that are inevitable as you write your book. Most importantly, we'll talk about keeping the pages turning and the words flowing as you write your first draft. So whether you were planning on writing a romance novel in November or you just needed that one thing from the universe to tell you it was time to start, I hope you'll join me on October 30th at 1 p.m. Eastern for a two-hour live class. If you can't make it, you can register for the class and the video recording of it will be available to you for the entire month of November for you to return to as you're drafting. And uh, I hope you'll join me. I'm super excited. You can check show notes for a link, or you can visit sarahmcclain.net slash writing dash romance. On with the show. It's October, and so we are required by law to- Monster mash. Talk about monsters, right? (laughs) It is a thing. (laughs) I believe we got a a, a letter in the mail telling us to make sure we did our- did our duty to romance landia <laughs> that voice you hear everyone is that of jenny nordbeck Hi. from the wicked wallflowers and bonkers romance podcast she needed another podcast to be on yeah it's because she has such a great voice i just really like hearing myself talk yeah. <laughs> well jenny you're also an audiobook narrator now you're jenny is coming to us from a very very professional looking sound booth oh yeah we are coming to you from our bedrooms. <laughs> yeah, I'm in a sound booth, but I have like a golem head and some sex toys that somebody sent me. Like, I don't know how professional it really is, but it looks legit. <laughs> from it the really outside. Does look pretty amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then we were like, is it a closet? Like, where are you? It's all very, very professional looking. It really does look great. I really thought she had like, you know, tricked out a closet, but no, Jenny just, Jenny does it right. That's that's what I've I mean. It helps Jenny that my husband start. can build things. Mm. Like mm. it, I would not have been pulling this off on my own. So <laughs> when I'm like, I want that sound booth, and my husband is like, okay, and he spends the weekend building it for me. Nice, nice. Yeah. Well, that's that's lucky. Um, welcome everyone to Faded Mates. I am Sarah McLean. I read romance novels and I write them. I am Jennifer Prokop. I am a romance reader and editor. So exciting. So I exciting. Yeah. I was and doing actually, a podcast yesterday with somebody, yeah. Jen. I was doing a podcast oh. with, without you yesterday. <gasps> I know. I know. We'll talk about it later when we're not in front of the kids. Uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and the, you came up and there, the person I was doing the podcast with said, um, 
I just feel like now that I heard it was Allie from Old Town Books, who yeah. Allie who owns Old Town Books in uh, Alexandria, Virginia. And she said, I just felt like the second I heard Jen describe herself as an editor, I thought, oh, I have to write my romance novel now. And I was like, you do. Jen will well, edit it. That's quite <laughs> a compliment. As a matter of fact, I edited Jenny's book. So in it, in fact, I we can have like a real life testimonial right happen right here, right now. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do I mean, you're sort of putting her on the spot. <laughs> no, I texted Jen before we started and I was like, am I allowed to rave about you as an editor? Because if I'm not, you need to tell me now so that I can like silence that part of Wasn't my brain. Wasn't that nice of her? So yeah. Because... She is phenomenal. And like, I've worked with a handful of editors now and have like a sense of how that works. And Jen just has this magical romance brain. And you see it in Faded Mates, like when you're discussing stuff the way that you can break things down and analyze them and whatever. But she can just look at a story and like see what it is supposed to be doing and how it is not doing that and how to twist the parts so that they come together. And... Yeah, I was just thanking her before we started, like, because I'm getting these like rave reviews about the book and I'm like, I don't think this would be happening if Jen had not unfucked the beginning of my book. So, well, wait, <laughs> let's talk parts. about this book that you're getting rave reviews for. Let's name it. First of all, yes. that's always a good way to sell a book is to say the, the title. <laughs> it is an important part of finding a book. It's called His Leading Lady. And it is a celebrity romance. Yeah, it is a fake dating enemies to lovers romance between like a very famous A-list celebrity and an elite dominatrix who he has hired to like roughen up his image, but also teach him how to play this like dark, morally dubious part that he can't quite figure out because he's like Mr. Wholesome. So nice. It's fun. Yeah, I like it. And it's super hot, everybody. I mean, not that that's important to me, but it is super hot. It is important to me also. Someone tweeted and asked, does it bang? Who are you talking to? Just like every Fate of Maids listener is like, what? That's a lie. I know. I was being silly. (laughs) Yeah. It bangs. It bangs. It bangs like a storm door or like a screen door in a hurricane. It bangs. It's great. Well, I have not read it yet, but I am on the record for being like a ridiculous celebrity romance fan. So it is on my list for next week because I am... I'm going to tell you all, my mom is having knee surgery, so I'm going to be a daughter next week, and I'm going to take Jenny's banging book with me. Oh, yeah. And read it in my childhood bedroom. (laughs) That brings me untold delight. (laughs) If anybody would love that, it's Jenny Nordbeck for sure. (laughs) But believe it or not, we are not here today to talk about celebrity romance. Jenny has a different topic in mind for us. Yeah, I was like, can I please talk about monsters? Please let me talk about monster romance. I It feels like Jenny wanted to talk about monster romance so badly that she started a romance novel podcast, another <laughs> one, just for— It happened. It's not supposed to be monster romance. It's bonkers romance, but it's mostly yep. monster romance. There's and quite a bit of monsters talking about there. some random historical. <laughs> <laughs> no, we did, because I think it was one of you who wrecked it to me, possibly, the— fourth episode that will be out by the time this comes out is Hold by Claire Kent, like oh, Prison yeah. Planet. It's great. That's a great That's book. That's me. I love that book. Oh, yeah. Same. 
it blew my mind when yeah. I finally read it. The book is amazing. Yeah, so we're not doing only monsters on the podcast, but there's a lot of monsters happening on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Even your little, um, it's you have a great logo, and there's like a little tentacle. A little kraken. Mm-hmm. Like swinging out there. <laughs> so it's interesting because I think monsters, so obviously it's October, so of course there's a theme here, but also... Monsters are really hot right now in romance. It's yep. and they it, that's not to say that they didn't exist before this year, but it feels like before this year they were in a quiet corner of the pool and now they are much louder. Do you feel that way? Uh, yes, but I feel like like paranormal was really hot for a long time, but it was sort of like it was always kind of restricted to kind of the IAD group, right? Vampires, witches, Werewolves. Which and is not what we are talking about, for the record. No. So it feels like the monster romances we're talking about are just, like, pushing past those, that kind of regular group, for lack of a better word, into monsters that are, I don't even know what, Jenny, maybe you should talk about it more. Yeah, so I, have, I have notes. I have an outline. <laughs> this is a thing that is happening. Jenny's um, like a stern teacher. I just, I, I feel... An obligation to properly represent the monster romance subgenre. And I have to say that Lee Kramer and Katie Robert are my, like, monster romance buddies who we constantly DM each other monster romance wrecks. So they need some credit for this journey that I'm on. (laughs) But um, what counts as a monster is something people ask a lot if they're not reading it. And I think what you said, like, there's IAD where you've got, like, a demon Mm-hmm. But if they can, like, throw a hat on and walk through New Orleans and people don't freak out, it's probably not a monster. Um, mm-hmm. So I think in general it's, like, non-humans and usually they don't shift to be a human during sex. So mm-hmm. you have shifter books where, like, they can be a monster or a creature or whatever and then they shift and have, like, normal human sex. But these monsters... In general, stay monsters. I think a few of my wrecks get a little more human-y, but there's some wiggle room in there. Um, I think the way I often describe it is like, it's Beauty and the Beast, but he stays a beast. Like, there's no man at the end. Um, And there is a lot of potential crossover between, like, paranormal and aliens and monsters, but the way that I describe it to people is um, if this person this being could like walk down the street and it would make sense for someone to run away screaming ah it's a monster i'm gonna count that as a monster okay (laughs) so right now it feels like that we're talking we we have seen let's do the range of monsters because i feel like there are orcs and they're kind of humanoid monsters. So I have like a gargoyle I'm gonna talk about. Yeah. Or mm-hmm. the Minotaur in a weird way felt human. Mm-hmm. Um I mean they've gotta be human but enough there's like a to be spider guy. Yes. <laughs> so the spider is starting to get away from being as human. And their yes. tentacles, yeah. like there's uh, krakens right. and others. Yeah, like mermaids and like all sorts of dragons. Wait, are mermaids monsters? I don't know. I would argue they could be. 
like particularly the mermaids that I'm thinking of who are like the vengeful, scary mermaids who will like pull you to the depths. And mm-hmm. okay, because I'm thinking right. of like um, Marie, the Little Mermaid. <laughs> Sorry. No, I'm talking about um, Marjorie Lou's uh, Merman. Um, that book was called Soul Song, and it was out in the early aughts with all the other paranormal series, and he was a merman. Mm. But he did, like, have legs most of the time. Like, when he was on yeah. he had legs. I feel like that's the problem. If You know, the Minotaur is a good example of, you know, he was a flat-out Minotaur the whole time. He had right. hawks and hooves. Yes. Well, I feel like that's Hawks, a really H-O-C-K-S. good distinction. Oh, Yeah, it feels like a good distinction to me is the, like, shifting part. They don't shift. They don't shift. Although I I am going to talk about a book with a shifter, but I feel like there was, like, a little addition that makes it Oh, yeah, I have a shifter, too, that's a little monstery, but it's yeah. a different kind of shifting. When I've got some shifters who are human and then shift to their monster form— to bang. See, now this so, is like, interesting. There can definitely be some shifting. Because Christine, Christine Fian kind of edged up on this in the late, the late aughts, like right around like 2008, yeah. 2009, Christine Fian was writing all these like big cat shifter heroes in her famous series. Right, um, the leopards. Yeah. Ones, yeah. And they were, um, but there was always the hard limit was they fucked as humans. Yes. Wasn't there even okay, look, am, am I making this up? I feel like I heard at some point that if your shifter romances they're fucking as animals, Amazon was gonna cut you out of the Kindle store for bestiality. Ooh. Is I that heard true? That too. And I wonder if like But like the, spiders are fine. Because you can't really fuck a spider or a kraken. But maybe people are out there are like, maybe I can take on that <laughs> oh tiger. I don't Put know. Put the children away, everyone. <laughs> I mean, by now, four seasons in, you should be putting the children away. But just in case. Well, yeah, if you see my name on something and you're not putting your headphones on, <laughs> I don't know what to tell you. Sure. <laughs> but I mean, maybe that's why, right? Like, because there was this limit, if you made the monsters like more fantastic. Fantastical, mm. then it was less of a more like aliens almost right because you can fuck an alien when this is going to be now the only thing anybody remembers about this episode is that i'm about to potentially in some people's eyes defend bestiality and i'm not <laughs> the problem right. with bestiality is I'm not like, that you're don't fucking get us a panther. kicked off the apple store yeah, yeah. <laughs> the problem with bestiality is that the panther can't consent like right. if if they are a cognizant ascension being, being. And, there's like a right. sentience that's required. There's that great cartoon. I have to find it, but it's like the cartoon that's like what is a like what is okay and what is not okay. Yeah, yeah. So I it, do not know yeah. this cartoon. I'm going to find show, it. We're going to put it in show notes. Everybody, look down right now. Yeah, look down. We're yeah. going to use it as an image. Right. Sorry. Amazon is not known for nuance, so yeah, if they just are like, nope, that's bestiality, we're sweeping this whole thing into bestiality, if there's shifters that do the thing as shift in their animal form, so. But yeah. spiders are fine. Also minotaurs, because minotaurs aren't real and spiders are very small. <laughs> but I think some of these books have been having a hard time. I well, min- the minotaur, the I mean, Morning Glory Milking Farm for a little bit was... Right, uh, was in the dungeon. shoved into the Amazon erotica dun- dungeon. Mm-hmm. So we should talk about that too. There's 
Um, on Amazon, there is what's called the dungeon, which is if you write a book that is um, problematic in some, we talked about this a little bit with Nikki Sloan when we yes. had her on to talk about erotica and erotic romance. Um, and so if you have a book that edges up on some of these questionable uh, topics or questionable events, it Amazon will remove you from search. So yes. even if you put, if you go to amazon.com and you search Nikki Sloan sorted, for example, or Morning Glory Milking Farm, it will come up as no no uh, results found. But the truth is that if you have a direct link to that item, it exists. It just doesn't exist in search. Yeah, it's wild. And and they don't tell you. You don't. Yeah, have you any don't get notified. And yeah, you don't. You can't. Com- you can't protest it either. I mean, the protest is difficult. Yeah. It's been happening with some content warnings as well. Like authors have been trying to be better about putting content warnings on the front of their books. And Amazon has been using that to flag books as this belongs in the dungeon. Well, this is a very big concern about content warnings that a lot of people have rung bells about from the start. That when we start using that stuff as authors and readers to identify things that are in these books that... At some point, someone is going to start saying, well, any book that has this content in it, even if it's carefully, you know, tackled or, you know, handled, is going to get banned or, um, yeah. yeah. There's going to yeah. be a struggle. Yeah. It's they how it's they happening. start policing it that way. Yeah. So it's it's an interesting conundrum. But so far, monsters in like I think yeah, some of them have been having. I think a lady of Rooksgrave Manor. Yep, that was one of yeah. the dungeon that got dungeoned. Yeah. So it's but I think if we can you know as it gets more mainstream, they're gonna have to figure out how to deal with it. Yeah. But. The cynical um, part of me is kind of thinking, like, look, at some point, Amazon's just going to deplatform all of it. But then the part there's part of me that's like, they must make a lot of money off of readers like us. So yeah. mm-hmm. will they really? Um, but I, I definitely think that um, readers have to, readers and authors, authors especially, I think, have to be really mindful that content warnings can be used against them. Well, I also think that there's something to be said for... The argument that, and and this is something that comes up often, and uh, whenever, when anything sort of strange happens, when some, you know, prices Mm -hmm. get shifted or books, you know, ebooks get taken down or, you know, someone gets plagiarized and, like, the the plagiarized document becomes an Amazon title. Um, I think this kind of stuff happens all the time, but we only hear the bells ringing when it happens to a book or an author who is large enough and has a large enough yeah. platform for readers to get upset. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge that, like, books are getting dungeoned all the time that don't deserve to be dungeoned. Um, and if you're lucky enough to have a book on TikTok that gets dungeoned, you might have some recourse in getting yourself out of it. Yeah. So it's just something to think about as, as your reader, if you start to, you'll start to see this now that you know that it exists as you're looking, um, uh, especially on Amazon in the, in the Kindle store. Yeah. 
I mean, it's something I was having to be really careful about, even with his leading lady, where it's like, I'm talking about kink and whatever. And mm-hmm. it would be really easy if I put, I had to be careful about my blurb. There's yeah. no mention of a dominatrix in my blurb. There's no mention of BDSM in my blurb. Like, you have to know these things. And if you look at it and you're like, why is she trying to hide the fact that it's a dominatrix? Mm-hmm. And it's like, kind of, yeah, because Amazon is going to put it in the dungeon. Mm-hmm. Wow. And not the fun dungeon. Not the fun dungeon. Not, not ironically, the, dungeon. the one you want to be in. <laughs> Interestingly, this was a conversation we had, not even just books, but like um, Melody and I for the Bonkers Romance podcast were going to set up a Patreon and decided to set up our own independent members site off of Patreon sure. because of the nature of what we're talking about. Like, yeah. they could suddenly decide tentacle porn is bestiality and they're shutting down our entire Patreon and we have no recourse. Right. So, right. It's, but we don't have that option to subvert Amazon as easily yeah. so it's a an yeah. interesting problem so all right let's now that we've done that <laughs> yeah let's get back into it <laughs> before we like really go into the monster romance i had tried to answer the question of like when did this become interesting yeah. to me because mm-hmm. you're saying it's sort of becoming a trend in romance but i was like this predates romance for me um like when did tiny jenny suddenly <laughs> get an interest in monsters yeah and the answer is fantasia Okay. Um, wow, so like tiny Jenny. <laughs> yeah, this is goes way, way back. And it's not even like, do you remember the scent? And I'm sure Fantasia is problematic. I have not seen it in many years, but it was made in the 40s. It has to have problematic stuff sure. in it. So I'm throwing that disclaimer out there. But do you remember the centaurs? There's like the girl centaurs and the boy centaurs. Mm-hmm. And there's like these mm-hmm. little, they're like getting them ready and they're so pretty. And mm-hmm. so there was that. But more than that, there's Chernabog at the end, the, like, demon who's Mm. summoning the spirits. And he's, like, muscular, and he has these big wings, and he's menacing, and he's so powerful. And I think that was, like, I was done for at that point. But Um, so it's interesting because you came on season one of Fate of Mates to talk about um, Sabine and Rydstrom's mm -hmm. book. Um, And so, and you're an, an avowed... IAD lover. And Chernabog at the end of Fantasia always reads as Sian, the the hero of Wicked Abyss (laughs) to me. See also Tim Curry as demon devil man in legend, right? So I'm with you on this. I went, I too went down this rabbit hole and then found, you know, paranormal and, but there is something more. Right, it's a slippy, it's a slipperier slope to go from. Yeah, it's one thing to go to satyrs and then demons, who all again yeah. have humanoid forms. It's another thing entirely to make the leap into, and now they're not human. They don't have human yeah. form, right? They're spiders. Yeah, yeah, and the the progression for me is then like the gargoyles TV show. Like they're mm. still pretty human. They're very similar to that demon, mm. but they're massive gargoyles and you can't really say that they're human and then we get to like lord of the rings with orcs Mm -hmm. and and spiders like Mm -hmm. melody joked that i'm a spider hipster because when we did this episode about ensnared by tiffany roberts the the spider book i was like i've liked spiders forever and she's like oh you liked spiders before they were cool (laughs) it's true like the concept that there is this massive creature who has, like, built-in bondage abilities and, 
Like it that, that would was appeal to, to you. Oh yeah, yeah they're you really go. formative right. age. Sure, like, they have skills. They can do things. So. so I have a question, which is, and I, what's interesting to me too about a lot of the things you mentioned is they're like animated or illustrated. I think mm. right. So is Except there Lord of the Rings? But yeah, yeah, I guess right. But I mean, I you know Fantasia or um, yeah, you know, and so I wonder if there's a way too that these things become, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, like, one of the things that I think is interesting about these books, which I don't, I read a bunch of this week, kind of for for research reasons, is a lot of these books are pretty soft. Like, right, mm-hmm. these characters are not actually, like, we talked about mafia romance as being, like, horror romance. Mm. and And I feel like it's true in a way. But, like, these books are also kind of horror romance in the classic sense that they contain, you know, sort of, like, supernatural creatures or something unsettling or disquieting. Like, if you think about horror as, like, a continuum, these would be, like, the softer kind of horror books where you just feel, like, ooh, a little scary, but not, like, Saw or whatever. This is R.L. Stein's Goosebumps romance. Yeah, right? I mean, (laughs) in the sense that these characters— and. We talked about this before the pod started, but it does seem very gendered, right? Like, most of the monsters that I read were men or the male characters. And Mm -hmm. they all seem like good guys, though. That's where I'm at. It's this, (laughs) it's like kink. It's that sort of abduction kink or that kind of so many of them have some sort of like sacrifice built into them where the human woman is sacrificed to you know presented to the monster as a sacrifice potentially or even um just to if it's not an overt sacrifice a sort of metaphorical sacrifice to the monster but he's always like kind and good and you know, I'm thinking about, um, <laughs> I'm thinking about, well, I mean, I don't know. In the ones that I've read, he's usually like a yeah. decent dude. It's it's that kind of, um, it's like I want my kink, but I want it to be softer than what I'm getting from mafia romance or, a, you know, sex trafficking romance. <laughs> right. Well, you maybe can't get the escapism from a mafia romance because it's too real. Sure. Like it's this could is a thing that could really happen. But when it's an orc, it's just like so clearly in this fantastical universe that it maybe is more escapist. But I think there's a spectrum of monster yeah. romance. Yeah. And at one end, you have like light, fun, playful, soft, like. Often it's not, it's like two monsters together or like a banshee and a kraken or like, and they're, you know, one of the books on my list is um, Girls Weekend where they're like, it's elves who've gone to an orc nudist resort for the weekend. That's written by the same woman who wrote Morning Glory Glory Milking Farm. Yes, it is. Um, and it's just like fun. And the fact that they are monsters is kind of incidental to the plot. Like it's mm-hmm. obviously important from a reader standpoint, but it's not about them being monsters. They just are these beings and it's playing with the fantasy space in a fun, erotic, light way. Yeah. Versus at the other end of the spectrum, you have the like darker, more intense stuff that would be more comparable to like a mafia romance where there is abduction 
you're potentially playing with questions of consent and people's ability to properly consent. Um, you, it's like more serious. There's like danger. Right. It's you know, so it they're almost like completely different books. Like to compare the two is almost laughable. So right, but it's fun that you can do both with monsters. The thing that I think is interesting, and I just was thinking about it, is like when we talked about the difference between like paranormal and fantasy we often talk about world building as being like the big difference right so paranormal is just like everything's kind of normal but here's some vampires and i feel like largely that is also true of monster romance that they come more from the paranormal family tree of i am inserting a monster into like a light world building situation if there's any Right. And so I think maybe that could be another appeal is like I get the fantastical kind of fun element that I would from fantasy, but I don't have to necessarily either as an author or a reader commit to like the very serious world building that fantasy requires. Mm. So, I mean, I think maybe the other part of it, it just makes more sense to me that it's like, you know, from that the paranormal family tree, but just further out on the branch. Yeah, for sure. When you get to play with this fun thing in some of them where you've got a creature that is so different from humans, like in Ensnared by Tiffany Roberts, it's the spider alien romance. This like spider creature being does not understand what a human body is or does. So they get to kind of discover each other in this really cute, mm. sexy, interesting way that you don't get when there's two humans. And I think that I'm finding is something that's appealing to me where it's like this other creature and you're learning about each other and it's like weirdly innocent, but mm. like it's just this interesting space to play with that you can't do in a, a more traditional romance. Well, you can, but one of them has to be a virgin and then that's like weighted down with a bunch of other crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but you also get... I mean, it's like power and danger potentially. And don't we? Yeah. Most of us like that is like, why do we like billionaires and mm -hmm. bikers and assassins? And it's like anytime you can put that power and that danger together, it's like the id buttons in your brain. And when you've got like a an all powerful gargoyle who can like protect you from bullets, like tell me that that's not the power and danger id buttons getting hammered. We are sponsored this week by Radish, Romance That Feels You. Radish is a comprehensive romance fiction library penned by talented, popular writers. Bottomless content, one cute app. Sarah, what are you reading this week on Radish? So, you know, <laughs> I... <laughs> so, okay, we're all romance readers. So yes. we all know that tropes are queen here in romance, in romance land. And one of the things that I like the most about Radish is that when you're just sort of like, ah, uh, I don't know what I want to read. I want to read something pretty sexy. You and know the itch you want to It just like scratches the itch. Um, well, this morning I woke up and I was like, I really want to read a best friend's brother story. Um, and, you know, I know. Don't at me. I know. We did a whole episode on it, but I love it. There's nothing wrong with it. It's an amazing trope. So I'm reading today. I'm not finished with it, but I'm. it's pretty great. I'm reading Gemma James's Swallow Me Whole, which... What a title. <laughs> I'm not mad about it. So, I mean, look, it's a name is destiny. Um, 
<laughs> so uh, the premise is that the main character, Sadie, um, has has a terrible boyfriend. And right in the first chapter, one of my favorite openings, she walks in on her terrible boyfriend in flagrante with another woman, with his assistant. It's, like, so cliche. Oh, and uh, then she goes out with her best friend and her best friend's twin brother, who yeah. happens to be delicious. <laughs> and um, things happen, and then suddenly she's, you know, um, doing things with her her best friend's twin brother, and I'm for it. And see, this is what's great about Radish. You are going to find whatever it is you're looking for. So Radish has a special offer for our listeners, which is that you can receive 24 free coins when you sign up at radish.social slash fatedmates. You can use that to read Swallow Me Whole or any other of their exclusive episodic series. Either way, we think it's something any enthusiastic romance fan will want to check out. Thanks again to Radish for sponsoring our show. I keep coming back to why why a monster, right? Like I'm really wrapped up in what what gets released by the fact that the hero in most cases it is the hero is this monster, this at least on surface a monster being, right? So I read a book by Tara Phillips. I read Ensnared by the Orc, right? Where which is set in a kind of like out of time in a lot of ways. The heroine feels modern, but it's set in a kind of time that doesn't have much technology. It's a little medieval too. And um the heroine falls into a like a trap that had has been set for trespassers on, you know, the heroine is a human. And and uh, it's set on, there's like a human, a boundary between the human land and the orc land, and she goes in there for romance reasons and falls into a trap with her, her troll hound, her giant dog. And he, the hero comes along and saves, saves her, like rescues her from this trap, which he, because he is a trapper and he did not mean to catch her. But the second he sees her, he's like, hey, do you want to get married? <laughs> and she's like, no, not really. <laughs> and, then, and then they go back to like Orkville. And in Orkville, you discover, and this is the third in a series. I did not read the first two because I just picked the one that had the like trope I was most interested in. Um, and But she gets back there and there are these other human wives. And it turns out all orcs born like even half half orc mate half orcs are born male so they have to marry outside of their yeah this is a very orc thing yeah Yeah. so is oh this is like orc mythology that yeah well it just it tends to be consistent in a lot of orc books okay and i don't know if that goes back to like lord of the rings they're all male right or there's probably something else to it. Okay. Yes. See, I did not know. So I was just like, oh, this is fascinating. Like, there are, you literally cannot be a female orc. So, like, in order for you to end up with an orc, you have, like, it has to be interspecies. Like, he has to feel monstrous in some way for you to end up with an orc. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, I think from what I've read, pretty common. Almost every book I read was sort of like, you know, all the Kraken are mostly males, or it's really hard. There's not as many. I mean, Ice Planet What's Barbarians. What's the deal on that? Well, look, I mean, you guys were living in a time where we're really grappling as a society with, like, 
people acting in ways we think are monstrous. I don't actually think it's all that. Yeah. I mean, but for as many of those books as I can come up with, I can come up with a bunch where it's like they're both these paranormal creatures. And yeah, like I there's definitely something to what Jen is saying where it's like, what if the monster's not really a monster? Like they look like a monster to everybody else. But you right. know. I like I, I'm just going to say like I. I have, like, a knee-jerk negative reaction to that, Jen, only because, like, they're so, the like, on the one side of the spectrum, they're so soft. So, like, are we really saying, like, this is, let's just write the monsters and, and like, write them decent? Which is, like, oh, God, then what are these books, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying, like, Wah. isn't this... Every white woman in America who's, like, sleeping with a Republican right now? Like, but I know he's really good inside, so it's okay? But that implies that they realize that he, that that's problematic. And that they are, you know, that he's a monster, but she's not a monster. And she is self-aware enough to recognize that, like, he's a bad man. And she doesn't agree with him. And I think in many of those cases, the women are just as complicit. I struggle with that because I feel like when we talked about dark romance, we we hammered home this idea that like kink is, you know, this is this is a real kink for a lot of women, right? Like one in Nisha had the numbers, sure. like one in four, or one in six women like have these kind of fantasies. So the books serve a they serve a fantastic of a fantasy purpose um, that we should respect because women's brains exist in the world. Of course. But I mean, I think horror... Okay, like, if we just talk about but it as horror... I don't monster. think this is horror the way that those are horror. But I feel like they have to be. Like, monsters are have always been a big part of horror. And one of the reasons that the appeal of horror is so great is it's, like, a safe exploration of, like, the dark side of humanity. Yeah. And so that's always been the case with horror. And so I don't think you can say, like, you know, it's just because it's monster fucking, it's not horror anymore. I think, but, like, we didn't feel this. We never had this conversation during IAD, right? Yeah, yeah. And is that because now we're four years in and we're just smarter? Or is it because there's something different? I guess that's what I'm asking is, like, is there are is there really a difference? Or is this just, like, the future of IAD is, like, spiders and shit? Because these creatures, interestingly, for those of you who are with us in IED or have read IED, this is Pravis country. Mm-hmm. Yes. There's Veritas Army, which is all the, like, vampires and demons and, again, humanoids. Mm-hmm. And then there are, like, the Pravis, and those are the monsters, quote. But Cressley herself is even starting to play with the idea that they may not be as cut and dry, bad and good as she has, like, initially led us to believe. And, yeah, the, like, Veritas are all kind of more humanoid. And then when you get on the other side, it's they do get more monstrous. But Yeah, it's like snakes and shit. Yeah. But I, I think even she is is testing this idea that, like, these are not, like, that they have been traditionally thought of as, like, monsters and bad and whatever, but that, like, they're not all bad or that, you know, there's right. Like, Once you get to the torture island movement, you start to see like, oh, maybe it's actually the humans who are bad. Like, yeah. So, to me, like werewolves and vampires and witches, they also come from like a literary tradition and from Twilight and from right ways that are like we just don't associate them as much with 
horror because horror is also about how these creatures act. But I think that might be a personal thing because I don't associate monsters with horror. I associate them with mythology. And I think there's like an older literary tradition of monsters in mythology that is not necessarily horror. Like in Greek mythology, in fact, in any mythology I can come up with from archaeology, you often have monsters and humans fucking or like interacting in a way that isn't. You've got these like god creatures or demigods or and they're not necessarily out to kill the humans. Can you give an example Yeah, I mean, particularly, like, imagery, I can come up with some that we can share. But, Mm -hmm. like, yeah, you've got all kinds of imagery. You have, like, Zeus going around fucking everybody as, like, various forms of Zeus. Mm -hmm. Um, Lots of different forms of animals. Um, One of the things that I thought was most delicious about um, Morning Glory Milking Farm was when he retells the mythology of the the Minotaur. Yes. That the virgins were going into the labyrinth and they were getting eaten, but, <laughs> but they were the getting <laughs> really well. <laughs> not, yeah. like, you know, consumed. Not sacrificed. I was deeply charmed by that whole book, but I was really charmed by how the twisted mythology of that. But again, I'm not sure I ever would have thought of the Minotaur. I mean, I guess the Minotaur is a monster. I mean, it's sort of the the one of the early monsters literally eating virgins as sacrifices. Yeah. But he was so nice and also a millionaire. <laughs> he wore a tie and <laughs> sure. <laughs> but to some extent, explaining why it works for me. And horror does not work for me. For me, there is, like, zero interest in horror that relates to monsters. Like, I have a hard line with horror. Um, is sort of like ex- trying to explain any of my other kinks. Like, why am I interested in sure, right. dubious consent or non-con? And I can rationalize it to some extent. Like, I can explain that monsters are powerful and you can up the stakes and there's some danger there. But, like... To some extent, it's just like that thing where it's like, I have been interested in this since I was teeny tiny yeah. Jenny watching Fantasia. This And this is one of those things about romance, right? That I think sometimes when we, um, you know, God knows I love to unpack romance. But sometimes, sometimes you can't do it in the moment. You need sometimes you right. need the distance. And yeah. also part of the joy of romance, what's packed into romance and gives us all such happiness when we read it and like pushes our buttons when we read it, is that it is hardwired in some way. Sometimes there are things that you can't fully understand because romance is just smacking you in the... The id. Yeah, it's like happening. Synapses are firing because you're just getting pleasure out of it. Um, It's a dopamine hit. (laughs) So So I do think there is some of that here, too. Um, but I also think, to to Jenny's point initially, one of your early points, Jenny, w- when you said it's also about, like, a big bad protector. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You are in the spider's web. No one else can get to you because they have to go through the spider to get to you. And he's not going to allow that. Yeah. I mean, another theme that you see a lot particularly with, like, orc romances or some of the darker ones, is, like, the woman is with a horrifying man. Like, her husband is abusive and terrible and horrible and whatever, and the orc kind of kidnaps her but also saves her. So, like, the example I'm thinking of right now is The Lady in the Orc by Finley Fenn. And 
like her husband is horrifyingly bad and it initially seems like it's bad that she's been kidnapped by this orc but then he's like like he treats her the way that she deserves to be treated right. it's like and frying pan into the fire but oh it's not so bad over here in fact it's quite nice but in that one, it's like the early description of him, you know, is like she's been taken not just by any orc, by Grimar, like the captain of the orcs, the most notorious sure, orc. The big duke He's of the, the first orcs. orc to unite the five clans in 300 <laughs> years. And mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's appealing as shit. <laughs> Where like, if I'm going to sure. be taken by an orc, I don't want to be taken by the grunt orc. No, you don't want like accountant orc. You want like <laughs> king orc. Yeah. We love accountants. <laughs> I th- I think one of the things though I mean I guess and, and like that's it, it this is interesting to me because like I said all of this is like I did some research this week but these books I read were like I felt a little like an anthropologist I was like this is interesting to me but it doesn't like I don't have I don't there, have it's this. not giving you pants feelings no not at all <laughs> it, it's giving me interesting like brain feelings one of the things I guess mm-hmm. I want to say is and I'm I'm I. I'm fascinated. I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about this, like, mythology piece. But, like, realistically speaking, like, we all call it monster fucking. And I think that there's a part of me that's, like, nobody's calling mythology fucking. And I I just, I think that there's a part of that that's also about, like, something that's, like, wild or untamed or, right? Mm-hmm. Like, what is what are the limits of that, really, in human society where, um, you know, everything is so, you know you can get an oat milk latte or whatever, (laughs) you know? So I also think a lot of it is like the ones I've read are very much too about um, like something that seems more like primal or like less like civilized, literally like I'm having to leave human society in some ways to be with my, my monster lover. So it's also, there's something I think about that that's interesting. That was interesting to me because it's like, being your real self or like getting back in touch with your own sense of like your senses of the world that like humanity has and the book I'm thinking of let me maybe I should give an example is I read a book also by um Tiffany Roberts called Treasure of the Abyss which is about a kraken and a a woman although it's like 400 years of settling on this planet called Halora and um, her name's Macy. She's 25. And, you know, she's her sister died when they were younger in the ocean. And she's always felt this like real guilt about it. So her whole life since this happened was is essentially like being a, a good girl and doing what her parents want and following the rules of society. Because back when she was a kid and like her and her sister went playing when they weren't supposed to and her sister died. So she's going to essentially marry this man she doesn't really love, but because she's their friends and she doesn't want to disappoint him and it's what everybody thinks she should do. And he takes her out onto the ocean and they are shipwrecked. And she is saved by this Kraken, Jax. And he kind of kidnaps her. And and he at some point says to her, like, you, you were not being your real self. Like, you were not happy, you were doing everything for everyone else, but if you stay with me, you can be the person that you want to be. So it also felt like this metaphor for, right, like he was going to offer her something that was outside of the limits of civilization, which were an impediment to her, like, being real with herself. Mm-hmm. What's the IAD that starts with her working at Disneyland? That's Wicked Abyss. Yeah, and 
it's just fascinating to me that, like, I feel like it's just this really fluid line from IAD into monsters. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just, there's almost nothing in it. So the idea that it's a hard line for you, Jen, is really interesting to me. That, like, one, you're into enough to build a podcast around it, and the other gives you zero pants feelings. But, okay, nobody in IAD had tentacles. Like, I read the sex scenes in this book and was like, but they had okay. horns. Like, if okay. you're Kate Claiborne, where's the difference there? But I didn't like the horns. <laughs> that was me. That was me who liked the yeah, horns. Yeah, like, you were the horns <laughs> Very <person>. into it. <laughs> so maybe that's it. The IAD, it was, like, in spite of that stuff, you loved it because the storytelling was so good. Yeah. Maybe. To me, it felt like... Um, yeah, and I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd have to think about it. But, like, to me, I mean, maybe the one you were like, this isn't monsters to me. It's mythology. Like, vampires and werewolves or whatever, to me, just feel, like, mm, so normal or normalized hmm. that I never thought about them this way. Whereas when I'm thinking about, like, a dude with tentacles or a gargoyle or, like, nodding, which is, like, another one I read with, right? I was like, that's now somehow I just, you know. But you're, like you said, it's fluid. Sure. I mean, it's fluid for me. But but I think it comes hand in hand with aliens right now, too. Mm-hmm. Or really, I mean, over yeah. the last few years, aliens have become real hot. Um, and I think that there is something to this kind of otherworldliness of the heroes. Um, that's There's something compelling about maybe a creature who is not human and doesn't come with all the human human baggage shit that human men come with right well okay can i be crass for a second and let's just if you do not have headphones on we don't don't allow it here (laughs) human male genitals are poorly designed like the clitoris is the primary female like pleasure center and the penis does nothing to stimulate that. So it in most circumstances, like it's so like unless you're male, like a gymnast. <laughs> yeah. Human male genitals are like not well designed for human women. I don't understand why that has. Well, happened, but it, so it in this one with the Kraken treasure of the abyss, like at the base of his cock, there's like little. Yeah, they all do. Exactly. I mean, it's Ruby but it's Dixon, not like right? A, Ice Planet Barbarians. No, no. Right. It's not Robin like a Lovett. secondary thing that's going to, like, tickle your ass. It's literally, like, around the entire base of his penis, there's, like, little ticklers. Oh, and like a like, sea yeah. anemone. Yes. That's how I pictured it. <laughs> and I was kind of like, I bet that would feel good. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So you get but this I didn't potential think it was to sexy. have, like, yeah. better sex organs right. with aliens or, or with monsters. We or, sure. talked about those Satter books, the... Elizabeth Amber Satter books, which have to yeah. be some of the earliest of like the modern monster porn or monster books, monster romance. And uh, they have, uh, when they lock in, when they have had their like night long marathon of sex <laughs> in all yeah. ways, a uh, like little snake thing comes out and like cleans you up and like, and like cures your nice. you know makes everything feel right again nobody no ut no utis (laughs) (laughs) i mean it is interesting and there's definitely i mean there's that too right i mean that's a good point jenny or you have extra appendages whether they are spider legs or whether they are tentacles like you are now holding someone's arms above their head by the wrists and you can big enough for face sitting a clitoris all these monsters can like there's no fear about face sitting. It's just oh yeah, just they get right up, well, up. Sure. They might have a better tongue. Like 
There are. They always have a. They better always tongue. have a better yeah. tongue. Yeah. Yeah. So just from like a mechanics standpoint, you can take men and improve them by making them better suited to please parts. See, you really won me over. Now that seems like a cool thing, Uh, right? Yeah. Now we're like, like, yes, I'm in it. I'm in it now. (laughs) One. I want to clarify that I talked in very MF terms about the improved sexual function, but it applies the same way to queer. Like, a tentacle is useful no matter what parts you're dealing with, um, or, you know, like, it it applies to all bodies. I do think that, but here's what I want to say. Yeah. I want to talk about the fact that, so I read this, I read this orc book. Um, I, you know, I have read, I did, I've done a, I did a little bit of reading around. I did not stumble in. I did not read the spider book because it ends on a cliffhanger. Same. So, um, <laughs> I was like, there's sort the of deal breaker for me. Oh, really? It's not a full blown cliffhanger. Like, are they together at the end of that book or not, Jenny? Yes. All right. So maybe I'll read the spider book. But the, um, so I, but I am curious because, and I want, I, I know we keep talking about this Minotaur book, but I think it's really fascinating, especially in light of also reading these orc books where they really just, so there's something so wholesome <laughs> about these books. They are yeah. fine. They are sexy in that, I mean, that Minotaur book is sexy, right? Yeah. If you're, especially if you're into like, semen in some way. I mean, I did not know. I I'm I, I don't think I'm into 24 ounces of semen, but like there's something kind of <laughs> there whatever. If that's your kink, like I can see how that would work for you. Um and then and there's some and the sex is great in that book. And there's a lot of it, I guess. But the takeaway from that book aside from 24 ounces is not about the sex for me. It was so wholesome mm. and it was like a small town romance a magnificent small town romance that was not boring. And that is not to say that all small town romances are boring, but they can be very samey. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's a small town romance without the cupcake shop. Exactly. I mean, it wasn't a small town, right? It's a, it's a city. It's conceived as this city, but it doesn't feel like a city. And I mean, anybody who lives in a city knows that cities don't actually feel like cities. City feels like cities feel like small towns. Um, but it felt very small town. It ended, it had such like a wholesome relationship. He was such a decent dude. There was so much about it that felt like, yeah, easily they could have met while she was doing her job in the cupcake shop or she could have been the barista in the coffee shop and it would have worked the same way. And I felt that way about this orc book too, that it felt very small town. It was, you know, the heroine was a hermit and then she ended up in orc society in this like nice community filled with lovely, you know, human women who had all been abducted and or sold into this orc community and now they loved and, you know, we're all having babies. And so I think there was there is a part of me that feels like some of these authors are taking the bones of really traditional structures in romance i mean and not just traditional structures truly bedrock small town romance is bedrock small town romance is emma and like pride and prejudice Right. We're I mean, we are talking Mm -hmm. about the roots of the genre and moving them forward and just layering the story with something that's different, something fascinating. And I think we talk when Sophie Jordan 
talks about high concept romance. One of the things that she talks about is that you have when you're trying to write something really high concept, you have to think about it as exactly the same and completely different. Like if mm. you stray too far from the bones of what you're writing, readers won't go with you. But yeah. if it's you not like other romances, right. layer it. <laughs> right. We like, want it to exactly. be like other romances. Right. We but want if, it to be like other romance, right. But at the same time, if you write the same thing that everyone else is writing, you won't ever boost out of, you know, you'll just be the next one like candy. There's there's no moment that that's the the trick is figuring out how to layer a new idea over a deeply old one. And yeah, that's yeah. what these feel like to me. That's that was my experience too and I want to add um one of the people I I, I did a little research, but I also contacted one of our listeners, Alyssa Long, who had a really interesting thread about how monsters have been for a really long time an allegory for disabilities. Mm-hmm. And I asked her, I sort of was like in a DM was kind of like, anything you want, you know, you know, anything you think I should have read or talked about. And one of the things she said about Morning Glory Milking Farm was, um, and I don't think she'd mind me quoting this, is she said, the monster town had accommodations for each different kind, and it made me really think about how I would feel if I stumbled upon a town that tried to make itself for me instead of the other way around. Mm. And I think that is something also about a lot of these books is, and this is what I liked, as opposed to I think one of the problems when you think about, like, monsters as a disability is, and this is like the Beauty and the Beast kind of thing is, it's a curse, and then when you are good enough, it gets, like, fixed or removed. And I like that a lot of these monster romances, the goal is not to not be a monster anymore. Like, that's no, no part of the it. Monster the monster experience is just coded into the world building. Right. So, an example, another example I read, um, and it's a novella, but I and, and Sarah, I think you're really onto something because I really teed into like what I think this novella is setting up. So I read a novella by Emily Hemingway called Flesh and Stone. And it's pretty short. And what happens is it starts off in like 1840s New York where a witch curses like a, a hunter. He's like a hunting her. And she turns him into a gargoyle. And then it's 2021 and essentially this woman comes into the churchyard and sees him and touches him. And he like, all of a sudden he kind of breaks free. And the whole time I was kind of worried, like, okay, what if she like fixes him? And that is Mm. not the case, right? Like he stays a gargoyle and basically he spent, you know, the 150 years of gargoyledom, like kind of figuring out what his like body can do now. And he has wings and all this stuff, but it's very sweet. But the way it ends and it's a, like a little bit of a spoiler alert, but you could probably see it coming. So if you don't like spoilers, skip ahead. Is he he returns to his like 1840s like monster hunting organization is now a 2021 monster hunting organization. And he can still like work for them. And I found myself thinking like, I want to read the next book in this series, right? I want to read about the monster hunting organization, but it's essentially like straight up romantic suspense in terms of the setup, right? And so that whole idea of like, oh, a team of assassins is going to make make their own little team and go out into the world and fight other, fight bad guys. So I did find myself thinking the same thing. Like, I see what this is doing, but it's a gargoyle instead of a Navy SEAL. Yeah. Hmm. 
Which is interesting because I wonder if we're, in that case, right, you're taking these kind of archetypal heroes who are starting to feel like they don't 100% fit in anymore. Yeah. The cowboy, the Navy SEAL, the whatever, that they don't fit into the the way contemporary romance is moving. Does that make sense? So what we have talked about a lot is that paranormal is the place where, and Jenny and I were talking about this earlier, paranormal was the place for a long time that, like, the bonkers romance plot, right, could live. And you could be sort of cut free of the moorings of, like, realistic fiction. And then we've said for, for, for seasons that we think that erotic romance is where some of the most interesting work in romance is being done now. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it makes sense to me that, like, monster romance could be f- serving a similar function. Yeah. Right? Because you have... It's pairing these two in some way, but... Right. But, I like, I love Jenny's point about it being mythology, about it being, like, improved sex. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, like, a lot of things that we're constantly talking about in the genre, but it's a way to push past, sort of... And I... You know what? I'm going to say something else. My favorite part about it is... One of the things I feel like romance readers always have to deal with is, like, you know, you're just reading these because it's fantasy and, like, what about real men? And that's when you get to be like, well, I'm, in fact, reading about a Kraken. (laughs) So there. So there. So, Jenny, do you have another book that you want to talk about? Or or I have one more that I do want to. I feel like I've barely even talked about books. (laughs) I know, right? So I know you brought some with you. So we should definitely make some recommendations. So you talked about books being softer, Sarah, Mm -hmm. and one that really surprised me in that way is when I say the title Stalked by the Kraken by (laughs) Lillian Lark, you're picturing a certain thing, right? Like you, this book has a vibe and it does not have that vibe at all. It is one of the softest romances I've read in a long time. And the heroine is a witch. She works in this like sex spa where people go to it's like they go to fuck there and but it's they're not like a brothel it's that they like it's magical creatures who go there to do it and they like pull when magical creatures do it they give off magic and this spa absorbs their magic and then they sell the magic um and she's a matchmaker so she can like see people's threads and she has had a bad breakup and doesn't trust her matchmaking abilities anymore because she thought she was a perfect match for this guy and she wasn't. So she's really out of her element. She's not practicing right now. And at the very beginning, this Kraken sees her, lights up, and is like, that is my mate. Like, it's the insta-fated mates, like, from page one. He must have her. But he doesn't want to, like, scare the shit out of her. So wait, how did the Kraken meet? see her <laughs> yeah. he's sitting in like a bar oh and like she comes he, in and he's not in water he no 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 <laughs> he is he is like a treasure hunter sure. who's like solving a crime yes. there's a whole subplot that all makes it sense. doesn't matter sure <laughs> um romance, romance stuff yeah and so he tries to like approach her slowly to be like you know i don't want to come in and be like i am a kraken and you are my one and only mate i must have you so he goes in and is like you know, I I want to be a client here, but I want to do this with you. And so they, like, 
do it together. And of course, like they go on some dates first and he reveals that he's a Kraken. And it's just so like sweet and wholesome. And he is so like gone for her from page one and just spends the whole book trying to be like gentle and nurturing and like take care of her and help her to heal from this breakup and you know we get the obligatory scene where like the the ex-boyfriend tries to come back but now she's with like the big bad kraken and nice. it just i was shocked by how wholesome it was but it is that's one where he's like human and then during sex he gets the the tentacles that come out and everybody who has read it after i've recommended it has been like i did not think i was into tentacles but she doesn't go, like, overboard with the tentacles. Like, for me, it was almost not far enough with the tentacles. Like, if you're going to have tentacles, I want, like, tentacle bondage and DP and, like, double penetration, if anybody's not sure what that means. Um, and this was not that. It was really just, like, this intimacy between them, and it was really sweet. And there's tentacles there for, like, pleasure, but really not anything scary or gross or weird going on with the tentacles. So it would be, like, a good intro for That's people. so nice. I'm going to get that. I'm getting it right now. Yes. My work here is done. Stalked by the Kraken. Well, and the next book in that series is called Three of Hearts, and it's, like, a harpy, a demon, and a werewolf. Um, Can I see like a poly relationship? This is interesting because I also think this is fascinating. With if I found this, um, I, f- I found this with a few of the authors that I was trying this week, where you then get you're like, okay, I'm in f- on Krakens, and then the mm-hmm. next book is three totally different monsters, and then I'm mm. like, oh god, now I have to be in on these. <laughs> 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 I just figured out how Krakens work, and now there's something else. So I think that's really fascinating. See, and I feel like that wouldn't bother me because I feel like maybe that is the IED thing where I'm like, sure, of course, sometimes, like, the witches and the demons get together. It's fine. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I guess there are some, like, the Orc series tend to go Orcs Orcs I mean, the Orcs feel like Highlanders to me. Yeah. Sure. It's a kind of like a warrior race yeah, of yeah. There's like a wearing Scots. There's a clan. The clan has a leader. It's yeah. you know whatever it is, and everybody has their role in this like thatched cottage community. Yeah, you know when we did our bonkers romance episode about orcs with Naima Simone. Oh my Fun. god, it was so good. But um. I compared it to the Vikings in early Britain. Similar, yeah. Because the Vikings have come over on their ships, they've started this civilization, but they left their women behind. So they don't have any women, but they're also, like, pretty, and they bathe, and they go down on you, and they are superior to the British men. So the British men are like, no, they're going to, you know, steal our women, fuck your corpse, but really they're going to make you come. So. Yes. Fair. Fair. Yeah. Yeah, that was what it felt like to me. I did read um, a book I really liked, but I feel like now I'm like, it's maybe not monster enough. But I'm going to argue if there's nodding, I feel like it it is it is moved from just like straight whatever. Would you like yeah. to explain to the class what nodding is, Jen? Yeah, Jen. Yes, Please first of all, it. in a minute. I'm going to explain in a minute. Wait, let me tell you the plot first, then I'm going to get to the nodding. Okay, <laughs> so the book is called The Alpha's Warlock but by Elliot Grayson. And this is a series of male-male romances um, set in sort of like a small town. And there's like sort of this local werewolf pack called the Armitage Pack. 
and they're struggling a bit. Like they're not as wealthy as they should be. You know, there's some somebody mismanaged something like a generation back. But in this one, um, a local warlock, and again, like these read as very like young men to me in their 20s, Nate Hawthorne is kidnapped by the local bad guy werewolf pack. And the bad guy werewolves essentially are going to use Nate's magic. They're going to bind Nate's magic to one of their werewolves in like some kind of like essentially a mating ritual. Like we'll be, they'll be mates. And then that guy will be able to like siphon off all of Nate's like warlock energy. And Nate manages to essentially escape the, like he freaks out and just like has like basically a magic panic attack and he like runs off. Right. And he makes his way back to the Armitage pack. And he basically says to them, like, I escaped after they started this ritual. So if I don't bond to one of your wolves, then I'm going to die. Because I, like, essentially the magic has to go somewhere. So he ends up getting mated to Ian, who is, you know, they have like this enemies to lovers vibe for reasons. What I really loved about this book was, like, it's really snarky, kind of funny tone, right? I don't know. Like, it just felt, like, really, like, Nate's kind of a smartass, and he's constantly, like, being an asshole to Ian, who's, like, all gruff and serious because he's a werewolf. So, at one point, he's like, you know, fuck you, Ian. And Ian's like, the other way around, actually. And I was, like, <laughs> kind of, like, I was like, all right, it made me laugh. So, Ian, in order to secure the mating bond, he has to fuck Nate, of course, and, you know, Nate's no stranger to anal sex, but apparently the nodding thing is once you're in there, then there's, like, a part of your of the penis that will, like, expand and kind of, like, lock in. Like, it's a knot, like a anchor, I guess. I don't know. And then that's, like, a really big part of the meeting experience. And then, like, after you come, it'll, like, slowly go down. It's, like, a super hard on. Maybe is how I would describe it. But to me, I was like, that whole nodding business to me seems like a further, right? There's some sort of, that's more than just regular sex. So that to me made it seem. It's a magic penis. Yeah, I think anytime there's like different yeah. genitals or like magical yes. semen, you start to get into that territory more. Yeah, yeah. I also really liked in this in this one, and maybe this has to do with why, what I is, like, there was no will-they-or-won't-they energy in the book. It was like, mm. you're going to die. I have to fuck you. <laughs> and I was fine with that. Nice. Yeah. I mean, similar to Paranormal, you can raise the stakes way up. Yes. Sure. Like, yes. It's right. life-or-death stakes or, like, yeah, you can, your romance right. reasons expand. Can Right, can get way bigger. And you know yeah. what? I also really, you know, characters backing into a corner, corner are my favorite. So to have Nate essentially be like, I have no choice. You know, we have no choice. We have to be mated. I was like, great. I really want to read this. So, but I would also yeah. call it like monster fucking light. It felt very similar to other things I had read, but just like this extra level. Hmm. Yes. Um, an interesting one is A Lady of Rick's Grave Manor by Catherine Moon. This I is a good this. test yeah. balloon one. I yeah. feel like if you've never read a monster romance or you got to you you've done paranormal and you're not really sure where we're going what we're talking about this is a good test balloon especially because they get less monstery instead of more monstery for the the sex parts um but so the character is a sex worker in like a brothel that caters to monsters and so during the book she ends up with like six boyfriends 
Yeah, there's like and, a golem and a vampire. Mm-hmm. And like a lion, like a gar, like is there a is there a griffin? Nope, I'm blank. But yes, it's like part lion creatures. <laughs> so you could, it's, you know, it's like a sample sample platter of <laughs> monsters. <laughs> you test it out, see what tickles it's your like, fancy. Yeah, it's an appetizer. <laughs> it's like wings, mozzarella sticks. <laughs> Like, this is one where the MF becomes really glaring for me, where mm. I was like, can I just have some some queer options in here? Like, w- can I have Medusa or, you know, like, there's some good options out there, but hopefully somebody's going to start writing me more. But yeah, I this would be a good, like, test out the waters, see how you feel about it. Um, a short one, if someone wanted to, like, dip their toes, but not fully commit um skin by Veda Vice is like a gargoyle and a banshee mm-hmm. and she can't touch anyone or she can like feel what they're feeling so mm. it's oh, I like, like that. critically important Sarah loves that, that. She, that's one of my favorite yeah. things she's poisoned everyone right she's got like <laughs> the gloves and the whatever but she can also feel objects so at the beginning she like takes her glove off to feel the object and they get ambushed and the gargoyle is the hero and he's like her bodyguard when she's out doing the like feel the objects thing and so they get ambushed he shields her from bullets takes the bullets for her but in the process of that she has her glove off and she touches him mm. so now she can like feel what he's feeling and but also it's like well it's done now and you're the only person who can touch me but in touching him she discovers that he has been in love with her for like ever oh and he's been hiding it and he's even now trying to like tamp down on it so she's like it's a small thing and he kind of looks at her and like lets go of his hold on it and <gasps> yeah. she realizes it is not it's a, a big small thing. thing that's nice yeah that's another one Alyssa recommended as being particularly good too. So that was Skin. on gone my list. Yes. I'm buying that one too. It's short. It's like 14,000 words. Okay. So you just get like the setup and then the sex, which you Fine. know is a delight. I mean, what more do I need? <laughs> truthfully. It's like a little snack. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think like that's back to the whole idea of right, like if if it's a punishment that you're like disfigured and disabled and then you go back that that's part of the thing that's especially egregious i guess in terms of like reading these as um allegories for disability so i'm glad to hear that there's some examples like that yeah a thing that it also reminds me of is the idea that this otherness is a bad thing and then you discover that it's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And I think I feel that with like I have obsessive compulsive disorder and or like I think mm-hmm. I might also be on the spectrum. I have friends who are on the spectrum and it's like because that's other, it's seen as a bad thing. Like you have a harder time interacting or, you know, it's it's something that should be treated or medicated or whatever. But when it's your reality and you, like, find someone who loves you for those things, not in spite of those things, it can be really powerful. So, you know, like, my husband appreciating the parts of my obsessive-compulsive disorder that other people might have tried to fix in the past was just so powerful for me. And that's not to say that people with obsessive-compulsive disorder are monsters, because clearly I'm not saying that. But there's something in there for me that, like, you are other and that they love you exactly as you are. Like, they don't want you to change. The fact that you are other is actually a benefit by the end of the book. I don't know. I mean, I think the thing about romance is always about, like, love and 
radical acceptance, like this idea that like everyone deserves love. And so I think it makes sense that like monster romance would be unpacking. I mean, of course, unpacking similar themes because it's still a romance. But without, but, you know, if, if we read romance, like sort of contemporary romance where, you know, the goal was to fix someone at the end, we wouldn't like that. So we should be able to maybe apply those same lessons to any romance that we read. Yeah, for sure. So I want to talk about a book that is out of print because I'm sad that it is out of print. But um, several years ago, I read Marion Pereira's The Beast Prince, which um, was published mm-hmm. by Sam Hain back in the day mm-hmm. when Sam Hain existed. And it remains on my Kindle as one of my very favorite what I thought was paranormal romances. I think it might be a monster romance. I don't know. It might not be. But basically, the premise of this book is that the the world building is so, so stellar. Um, But the idea is that um, it's this pretty bleak world, and it is uh, run by a quartet of princes who are the product of like a goddess and a human and they are able to transform themselves into the earth the literal earth so like mm. they can make mudslides or lava or rock formations they can create islands in seas like they but they are they are the thing so like the hero becomes a lava flow in order to, you know, decimate a town or something. I mean, it's not cool. He these are bad generally perceived as bad monstrous men. And they roam this earth and when a town just when they appear on the outskirts of a town, there is a belief that they a sacrifice has to be sent to them. So the heroine who is a sharpshooter and captain of the guard, her name is Katsumi, she is sent off to be made sac- to appease essentially and sacrifice herself to this earth he, this earth prince in order mm-hmm. to save her town like essentially um and she gets there and he is in his human form and he basically kind of bosses her around for a while <laughs> before it becomes clear that he has lost his powers And so he is, like, unable to do any of the things that he has done for millennia because he can no longer – he's been – I can't remember if he's cursed or not, but something's happened and he's lost his powers. And he's in hiding on the outskirts of this town because if his brothers find out that he has lost his powers, they're going to come and they're going to kill him. And so what ends up happening is it sort of flips and they fall in love and she has to protect this – beast prince this this man who has wreaked devastation on lands from others and it is tremendously cool the world building is great the writing is superb um and i as far as you know the last time i checked it was out of print so if you can find so a an, dirty tease and no one <laughs> wanted you can find an old copy of it, it. marion is i believe on twitter i have tweeted at her and said like Hey, what's the deal <laughs> on these? She also writes fantasy. Um, but I think there are, I think it was in print in, in some places. So you might be able to find an old copy of it somewhere. Um, I don't know. 
tweet at her and tell her you want her to put it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah, give it to me. Because I want to. I want everyone to read it. I was really like, it's very cool. So yeah, I am teasing you all. I try not to talk about books that are out of print, but sometimes one felt like a hero them. who can actually become the Earth. Yeah, that feels pretty real yeah. cool. Real cool. Yeah. Well, that's and world, myth, world that world. to me definitely seems like mythological, right? Like, uh-huh, I, I mean, right. I think maybe I think I've been thinking so much about it. I know I will be for like a long time, but. Sometimes to me, like the difference between like monster and mythology might just be like the sphere of influence. Hmm. What Mm -hmm. Zeus can do versus what like one Kraken can do. Those seem different to me. And Hmm. maybe they're not. Maybe it's just time. Right. But I I think that's like a really I will be spending a lot of time thinking about that because I think it's a really interesting point. Yeah. Well, I hope I get text messages about it. Yeah. In the middle of the (laughs) night, I'll be like, okay, but what about? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going to be sending you dirty mythological images now. Um, I will be putting them all in show notes. It's going to be amazing. Excellent. You know, one thing that is not monster related, but I just feel like I did not um, sing Jen's praises as enthusiastically as I would like to. Um, We talked about you editing like a finished book and it's done and it's ready to be like developmentally edited or, you know, you can give feedback on that. But something else that Jen just did for me that was amazing is she brainstormed the next book with me and let me not walk into the traps that I did on the first book that were going to cause me to have to do a whole bunch of rewriting. And it was amazing. And if somebody has like the idea and the outline and they're like about to get really heavily into the writing, I feel like that would be so helpful as well because you can do this magical thing where I was like, all right, it is a rock star romance. (laughs) She's a former escort. It's second chance romance. Like they were really young. And I started laying it out and Jen was immediately able to clue into like, these are the things that the reader is going to automatically want to see. Like you lay out that premise and these are my expectations. And those things sound really obvious, but I think when you're writing the story, sometimes you can get so into the characters and the weeds and the details of the plot that you can miss one of those checkboxes. And missing that checkbox is the difference between a decent book and a great book. So I don't know what to say. I'm like very like, Jen, you're a star. I will say my favorite moment of that phone call was at one point Jenny was like, okay, but like this thing is kind of the same. And I was like, that's your core story. (laughs) And I literally, Jenny's voice was like, oh, shit. She literally, I mean, it was actually kind of a great moment. I was like, yeah, that's your core story. Yeah, don't touch that. that. It was like writing therapy in brainstorm form (laughs) where Jen like gave me permission to tell this story. And I got off the phone and like, finished this book where I had like parts and pieces was then a finished outline that felt like I can dive in and be really confident that this is going the direction that I want it to go. I love it. It's hard to take compliments. So I will just say thank you. You're amazing. (laughs) Yeah. She's amazing. Her magical romance brain. Mm -hmm. That's what you get for reading. Nothing but romance for many, 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 many (laughs) decades. (laughs) (laughs) Jen, do you have a website up? If because I know everybody is, now, I hope. Like, what it, do I do? Yeah, if I want Jen's it will. Brain? It will be up by the time this airs. So, it, all my editing information is you can find at jenreadsromance.com. Perfect. Yeah. Jenny Norbeck, thanks for coming and talking to us about monsters. Thanks for the very illuminating week of reading you delivered us. 
Um, yeah. And it was fascinating. Will you please tell everyone? uh, The book is called His Leading Lady and it is in stores now. And uh, will you please tell everyone where they can find you on the interwebs? Bonkers Romance is the new podcast. So that is bonkersromance.com. Any of your podcast players, Bonkers Romance on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or if you want to find me personally, I am Jenny Nordback, which does not have a C in it. (laughs) Everybody puts a C in it um, on all the platforms, Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and whatever. So... Thank you you all are listening to Fade of Mates. You can find us at fadeofmates.net. You can find gear and stickers and other things linked there under merch. You can find us on Twitter at Fade of Mates, on Instagram at Fade of Mates Pod, and wherever you listen to podcasting things. <laughs> um, please, if you have time to like and follow us on your podcatcher of choice, we would be very grateful. Hope you're reading some really great books this week. Happy Halloween. Now is the time. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. Thanks. Thanks.